and there's absolutely nothing I can do about snow. And guess what? There's absolutely nothing I can do about racism because racism is snow. It was here before I was born, mm-hmm. and it'll be here after I'm born. So there's no point in me spending my eggs and my energy and my time and my intellectual capital dealing with racism mm-hmm. when I'm looking at black men who are killing black men. Hello, I'm Pastor David Carter, and welcome to what I call the Catalyst Podcast. What we're going to do is always have conversations and topics where we're going to provoke positive change. And so I'm so excited today to have um, on my first episode of the Catalyst Podcast, I'm so excited to have Pastor Mark Hampton. How you doing, sir? I'm doing fantastic, Pastor Carter, and thank you. Uh, for having me on the Catalyst, and I'm um, just excited to be here. Mm-hmm. Now, when I uh, when I the, when the concept came up about Catalyst provoking positive change and being a change agent, mm-hmm. I saw that you have an initiative coming up, and and we'll talk about that uh, la- a little later on in the program. Sure. But when I when I saw that you had this uh, program coming up, it was very catalytic, mm. and so. I said, I've got to have Pastor Mark come on here. But before we get into your, uh, into your upcoming initiative, sure. tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, I know a little bit about you, but yeah. for our listeners and our viewers, yeah. tell them a little bit about yourself, please. Well, first, I want to tell you, Pastor Carter, I'm from a family of 12. I grew up in... Uh, Y'all had a whole tribe. Yeah, we had an entire tribe. <laughs> uh, seven, okay. bro- eight boys and four girls. And um, a lot of love in the home. My father was a sharecropper from the South. Um, my mother never graduated from high school. She was absolutely brilliant. Wow, okay. Uh, and my dad was equally brilliant. Mm-hmm. And, um, but that's, that's in a different time. It's right after the Great Depression for them as, as young mm-hmm. people. And, um, and, and so on. And so the opportunities that we were afforded, mm-hmm. they were never afforded those opportunities, but they were absolutely outstanding parents. But what, so they, but the what, what, what they did was they didn't have those opportunities. But I, I know because yeah. my situation is very similar. Mm-hmm. They made sacrifices. Absolutely. So that we could be in a much different place. Absolutely. That's a different kind of generational yeah. wealth, right? It, it absolutely yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and quite honestly, we need to turn the page back to yeah. that mm-hmm. today and grab those those rich uh, deposits of examples mm-hmm. and then bring them forward in our current day. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, you know, uh, grew up in that home of 12 kids, uh, was the first among the 12 to go to college. Okay. And, um, you know, I was an athlete. Um, uh, and then after college, uh, just went to work in corporate America and uh, then uh, was in sales for a number of years. Was originally but, started but wait, in banking. But wait, but wait, but wait. You said you were an athlete. Yeah. I, I think you're being a little <laughs> modest there. Uh, you're an athlete. What, kind of, what did you do? Uh, what kind of sports did you play? Well, um, you know, prior to coming on the show, I shared my brief uh, football career with mm-hmm. you at Columbus East High School here in, in the city of Columbus uh, until one play in a, in a practice <laughs> that ended my football career. But I went on to play basketball. Okay. After you got and the brave knocked yeah, out yeah, of you. Yeah, after I got the brave completely knocked <laughs> uh, out of me. I went, over, went on to play uh, uh, tennis, was a city championship tennis player. Mm-hmm. Uh, also played basketball where we won uh, state championship. Oh, um, just. And then city championship in basketball. Just then state, we, city champion. I mean, 
you know, it yeah, happens. Hey, it ha- it kind of happened. So it, yeah. you were you were like literally a baller. Yeah, I, I guess. Okay. I don't know. I guess that's what people would call me back uh-huh. in the day. But anyway, okay. so from there, you know, went on to college, majored in marketing and public relations. Mm-hmm. Uh, after college, um, went to corporate America in banking mm-hmm. and worked for Minolta Corporation um, in sales for a number of years. Um, then went on to uh, got in the training and development world because uh, I got tired mm-hmm. of training all the new salespeople. So I said, I may as well be a trainer. Mm-hmm. So I got in the training and development world, did that for years and uh, was the uh, uh, manager of organizational development for the American Red Cross, which dealt in for the central region uh, mm-hmm. with training and development. Uh, after that, started my own consulting business, FTL Leadership, which was Follow the Leader. Mm-hmm. And I did leadership training and lectured at colleges and universities all across America. And in the process of all that, wrote about 10 books. Just little ten books, <laughs> Just in the process of all that. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, an athlete, mm-hmm. um, one of twelve, the first to go to college, an athlete, not just not an athlete, but an, um, a championship athlete, mm-hmm. leadership development training, mm-hmm. consulting, the author of ten books. Mm-hmm. I, that's a lifetime for a number of people. I mean, and wow. and you could just some people would just stop right there. What's kept you going? What's kept you going? Well, I understand, first of all, the, one of the greatest blessings that we, don't, we take for granted and one of the greatest gifts that God gives us is tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow. Yeah. And so when tomorrow comes, there has to be something that has to be done tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a point guard, predominantly. My job was to solve problems. Mm-hmm. My job was to be a distributor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My job was to call plays. My f- job was to situationally fix things in real time. In the moment. In the moment. And 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 the because co- I was a point guard, point guard also. So okay. I you know so, so you get yeah, it. You I, get I get it. it. And yeah. so the the coach could trust you. You were the coach on on the on the court. On the court. So yeah, I, yeah, I get that. Yeah. yeah. So that really translated, and I saw my dad do that. Mm-hmm. You know. Oh uh, yeah. You know, I saw him do that, and and it really translated in the rest of my life. So I just have a healthy sense of believing that. I could do what needed to be done. Mm-hmm. And I also have a healthy understanding that if something is going on that is adverse while mm-hmm. I'm alive and it's happening on my watch, mm. then I feel a sense of responsibility to do something about it. I'm not the guy that just sits just back on the sideline. And, and watch it happen. No, I can't know, In do the that. moment, because you are a momentum and an atmosphere shifter. Yeah. I, right? I, yeah, as, as you know, I, I say, you know, in the church that I pastor, Worship Center in Central Ohio, don't Great be church. A, thank you, sir. Don't be a thermometer. Right. Be a thermostat. Absolutely. Change Absolutely. the environment. Be a catalyst. Yeah. Be a change agent. Yeah. yeah. See, my mother taught me, you know, I went to a university right in my home. Mm-hmm. Quite honestly. <laughs> home you. Home you. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it was. Mm-hmm. My mother taught me a very powerful principle. And she would always say this to me because she, she refused to allow me to have excuses. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Or to make them. Mm-hmm. Either to have an excuse or, or to, to make, make them. One. Yeah. And she, she would always say this. She said, Mark, take whatever you have and make what you want mm-hmm. out of it. So I always had a healthy sense that if something was going on that needed to be changed, that was what I had. Mm-hmm. I need to turn that thing into what I want it to be. Mm-hmm. 
And so that's what you're kind of doing now. And so one of the things I, I know about you, um, you are the executive pastor. Yes, that's correct. Of Fresh Start Worship Center. Yes. And um, who might be the pastor of that, uh, <laughs> of that great yeah. uh, religious institution? <laughs> I think you might know her. Her name is Apostle Nikki Hampton, my wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah, phenomenal. Um, uh, listen, f- phenomenal. And yeah. I don't know if you know this, but one of her, uh, one of her very dear friends um, from Columbus, Dr. Andrea Reed. Yeah. Um, she and I went to um, college together at Brown University. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Andy, one of my, you know, she was one of my... She would hold me down and 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 keep me try and keep me holy. <laughs> right, <laughs> back, right. Back in those days. So, yeah. talk a little bit about your. Um, and then we're going to get into yeah. uh, the summit that you have coming up. Talk a little bit about your uh, your role in the church. Well, my role in the church as the executive pastor is to do number one is to make sure that what the pastor, what God has given the pastor, actually gets done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a relationship guy, mm-hmm. so I, I manage many of the relationships and, and build on those relationships around the vision mm-hmm. and calibrate our uh, attractiveness or our, mm-hmm. our, our attitude around what we need to accomplish vision-wise. So part of your – you assist and help the pastor. Absolutely. Get things done. I'm going to throw a little curveball yeah. here, right? Yeah, yeah, um, the, the The pastor – is your wife absolutely, and sh- and and her is a female, right, 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 right. Um, how did that dynamic work? See, when I came to Columbus, mm-hmm. um, I was pastor at Second Baptist Church, right. and I I grew up in in the East Coast where women preachers wasn't an issue, right, right. It 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 was not something that you know yeah. we looked at as something yeah. that was strange. Came out here and um, I inherited the church and on, on ministerial staff was a, a female preacher. Mm-hmm. And one of the old guard came up to me and said, hey, uh, uh, what you going to do with that, uh, that woman preacher? Wow. And I wow. said, I'm going to let her preach. Right. Duh. Right. Yeah. And so knowing coming into that climate and here you are, you are a strong black man mm-hmm. with a wife as the pastor mm-hmm. how was that dynamic work when the husband is the head of the uh, of the wife as christ yeah, is the head of yeah, the church yeah. which is all biblical but yeah. this whole dynamic and you being the, the strong accomplished black man mm-hmm. as you are talk a little bit about that well you know i didn't have the problem with it mm-hmm. <laughs> it was it was you other people as who for had you the in your house and yeah, you're serving no, the lord no absolutely, seriously yeah. absolutely yeah no because at home i'm the husband mm-hmm. Of Apostle Nikki Hampton. And I know she'd say that. Yeah. Yes, yeah. sir. Yeah. I'm, I'm the husband mm-hmm. of her. And as a man of faith, mm-hmm. okay. Of a man of faith. Right. Okay. I understand that she is not my idea. She's my dream, but she is his idea. Oh, you better talk that talk. You understand? <laughs> and and everything that she does, mm-hmm. She is getting it from him, and it is all his idea. Mm-hmm. Now, there are those in the community who had issue with it. This is an intriguing conversation, really. I'm kind of glad you brought it up because I've never had an opportunity to talk about mm-hmm. this. You would be amazed at how many people who thought that I was the senior pastor, mm-hmm. and, when, and, and when they thought I was a senior pastor, they, they were quick and... <laughs> Fast to give me their phone numbers, email addresses. What's up, Doc? Hey, want to go to lunch? Let's get wanna, together, Doc. Let's get together, let's Doc. Get, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Let's mm-hmm. do it. Yes. All right. Once they find find out that she is the senior pastor, 
It was literally the last I heard of him. Now, I'm a, like you said, I'm a strong black man. Mm-hmm. I had to be strong from a family of 12, mm-hmm. okay? <laughs> I had to be so strong. So where, where were you in the order, in the pecking order of... You know what? God divinely dropped me in as the seventh son Come on and now. the eleventh child. Bro, you'd better go ahead. That, he dropped me in there. Mm-hmm. Okay? He ordered you. Yeah, yes, sir. yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. He did. Yeah. And so, so the, reality, the reality is that, that people struggled with that, but mm-hmm. I didn't have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. Now, for that... For that, that meant a lot of isolation on my part. God does, you gotta be able he, to does he does his best work in isolation. In isolation. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But 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 I had mm-hmm. to be able to handle that mm-hmm. and not not allow that to throw me off or misdirect my behavior mm-hmm. or to get into an ascension mindset, which meant my aspirations. Mm-hmm. Would would run ahead of what my responsibilities were as the executive pastor. Mm-hmm. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I get you. I get and you. So, yeah. so, so, so I. But I've learned mm-hmm. that God's vision must ride first class, and I always mm-hmm. ride coach. So I didn't have a problem. <laughs> I, I didn't have a problem <laughs> with what God was ordering because. I knew that he was ordering it. Now, what a lot of people also don't know is I remember when my wife was singing in the choir at First Church of God mm-hmm. on, on worship teams, and, and we had a music ministry for a number of years, mm-hmm. and we traveled and toured and did all that stuff, you know. And I would always tell her, you're more than just a singer. Mm-hmm. God is called, because she would, when she ministered musically, mm-hmm. she would start preaching. Mm-hmm. And I would say, "Oh my God!" And see, and and I, I know, I know Apostle Nikki, and yeah. she can't. She, she is a gifted psalmist, mm-hmm. but she is she is the Lord's preacher. Absolutely, yeah. And I yeah. saw that mm-hmm. early on, uh, you know. And 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 I even had a meeting, you know, with with her dad and her brother. And I said, you know what? The re- reality is, she's going further than all of us. Mm-hmm. So we need to get behind her. Mm-hmm. That meeting was over 20 years ago. So it mm. never bothered me. Mm-hmm. As God, much as it bothered other folks. Other I, could folks. Care low. I could care less because, because if I was, if I misappropriate my thinking mm-hmm. <laughs> and, my, and my attitude about what God was doing, it would, re- it would derail. Yeah. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. So yeah. I had no problem with what God was doing. And see, you have to be uh, very secure in who you are. Absolutely. Okay. Very secure in who the Lord had called you to be and where he placed you. Mm-hmm. And we are help meets. Absolutely. For divine purposes. Absolutely. And so, you know, I could, and I really wanted to talk about that because understanding the climate and the isolationism yeah. that comes about as a result of making decisions as it relates to doing the God thing mm-hmm. and not the popular right. cultural thing. Yeah. And with you being the strong um, black man that you are, um, as we you know, kind of transition um, into the initiative that you have coming up, um, I want to read a, an excerpt from a book. Uh, called Dancing in the Darkness, mm. Spiritual Lessons for Thriving in Turbulent Times. And this is written by Dr. Otis Moss III. Mm-hmm. And I don't, if you haven't gotten this book, you know, okay. y'all need to get it. Yeah, um, incidentally, it. He's my, um, he was my classmate at, at Yale Divinity School. Okay, got it. 
from and his father was Otis Moss II, yeah. who was a general yeah. um, with yeah. Dr. Martin Luther King. So yeah. all those yeah. kind of things, yeah. you know, work together. And speaking about the climate and the turbulent times in which we're in, and the the summit that you have coming up, I want you to listen to this, um, mm-hmm. and then we can talk about. And then the floor is yours to talk okay. about the summit. He writes a letter to his son because in 2016. He was concerned about the turbulent times and the political climate and social climate. Sure. This is what he writes. He said um, to his son, he said, Dear Elijah, what shall I tell you? Shall I tell you that your rights are protected and racism is a scourge now banished from society? Shall I tell you that in this country you are entitled to act and live as any other teenage boy, to dance playfully with minor mischief, and to speak with a quick, immature tongue? Hmm. Shall I tell you that your body is safe? your mind valued, your future free. If I tell you these things, my words will be perjury before God and an assault upon the memory of our ancestors. Wow. So today I must share a hard truth with you. The truth, my son, is that you are not safe. You are not valued by certain others because of their persistent melanin phobia. There's nothing wrong with you, but there's something wrong with adults who cling to myths created to maintain power and control. You do not yet have the right to be a frolicking teenager like other children in our community, for your boisterous actions might be misconstrued as a fearful threat by people who refuse to remove their racialized lens from their eyes. Mm. The truth, my son, is is that you are not safe. safe. But we can still thrive in turbulent Absolutely. Times. Absolutely. And dance in spiritual darkness. So in light of that, hmm. Pastor Mark, tell us about the Verge We, did I say it right? Verge We. Verge We. Yeah. Verge We Summit. Yeah. Well, the first thing I want to tell you is that the Verge We Summit, mm-hmm. uh, the name Verge We in African okay. means forgiven. Mm-hmm. So that, that is, that's the first piece. Okay. The forgiven. second, okay. the summit is absolutely not my idea. Mm-hmm. It is God's idea. I was say, whose idea might it be? It's, yeah. <laughs> it's God's idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, that great apostle that you and I have been talking about, mm-hmm. Apostle Nikki Hampton, mm-hmm. she was preaching a message in Psalm 85 about seven months ago. Mm-hmm. And there mm-hmm. was a question that arose in Psalms 85. And that question was, will thou revive us again? That question... Mm-hmm haunted me and it haunted me for this reason i was i'm i've been looking at us as a community not through incident mm-hmm. not through trayvon martin or george floyd mm-hmm. or evander Tuskill or sandra bland mm-hmm. not through any of those okay. incidences mm-hmm. and i and incidences mm-hmm. is really uh, a misappropriation of uh, I understand. of language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really is because mm-hmm. it's 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 far greater than that. Mm-hmm. But but I look at it through discography over time. For me, that's fifty years. That's five decades. Whoa! So that's how I look at the issue. <laughs> Since the time I started paying attention to these things, paying attention to the cycles. Correct. Yes, sir. Correct. Mm-hmm. You have all of us in, in, our, in our upbringing, we have that mm. thing that happens to us when we discover it's different to be kissed by the sun. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. different to be clothed in blackness. You, we have those moments that life is not going to be fair. One of those moments that you 
just read mm -hmm. is a father writing to his son and he's telling him mm -hmm. you're not safe mm -hmm. that's a moment catalytic and, moment yeah absolutely. things that make the shift absolutely yeah, and the watershed moment absolutely kind of, yeah. so at the age of nine i was beaten up in 1960 what 69 mm -hmm. i was beaten up by some white school kids mm -hmm. uh because i was playing with another white school kid and we had a good time at recess. Mm -hmm. And after school, the, some other white kids didn't like the fact mm -hmm. that we had, had a, good a good time. time. Yeah. And so they pulled me aside behind the school building and beat me up. Mm -hmm. I learned then that being black was going to be different. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't thinking yet. Mm -hmm. I just knew this thing had happened mm -hmm. to me. All of us have had that, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Something along that Something line. similar. Yeah. So, we all have a story. Yeah. Yeah. So... So when I look, so about 12 is when I started paying attention because I saw the police uh, beat up my uncle right in front of my home. And he was a, he worked for the city of Columbus. Mm -hmm. At the time, he was the head of the janitorial mm -hmm. for the city. And he was just on, uh, on his way home. And he asked the officer, what did I do? And he put his hands up. And he was just saying, officers, just please tell me what did I do? And mm -hmm. they beat him up. And... Picked literally, he's like 6'3", 6'4", 225, 230. They picked him up and threw him in the back of a car. And that moment seared in my, the inequity was seared in mm -hmm. my brain. Like, wait a minute. This is, this could happen to me. Mm. You know, you know what I mean? So that, mm. that affected mm -hmm. me. Now, so I, but that's, so those are just some foundational impressions. Okay, get, get it. That give you a mindset, and, an, and, a, and I'm trying to. Get, I'm taking a long way home, mm -hmm. but it gives you a mindset about. Um, it creates a mindset rather about the fact that you are not safe, mm -hmm. and what it do, what it can do, and and what it does initially, out of the goodwill of our parents who would teach us lessons like. Be in the house before the lights go out, mm -hmm. street lights come on, because bad things happen, happen. to black folks at yeah, night. At night, yeah. Don't go in that neighborhood because mm -hmm. they don't like us over there. Mm -hmm. That meant don't go in the white neighborhoods, mm -hmm. all right? So what happens is you develop some, somewhat of a, uh, a victim's mentality. You're, and your parents are not creating that in mm -hmm. you. They love you, and they're trying to keep and they you want, alive. And they want to keep you safe. They want you to come home. They, they, right. They want yeah. us to come home. Yeah. And they have experienced yes, sir. Yeah. what they're trying to keep, keep us, us from, from. never yeah. experiencing. Mm -hmm. That's really important to understand. So the whole victim uh, mindset happens to us. But then there is a point that you, you have to crawl out of that box. Mm -hmm. There's a point where you have to say, you know what? I don't care, but I've got to move forward. I still have to have vision. I still have to dream. I still have to, I, despite the issues, I still have to be successful. Mm -hmm. I still have to start a family. I still have to buy a home. Mm -hmm. I still have mm -hmm. to do all those things, start a business, whatever the case may be. And the reality is that I, I came to the conclusion that, that racism cannot be my big problem. Mm -hmm. Because if it is then that means that I have no control over oh. my present or my future. Mm -hmm. And my grandchildren will have no control over their children and grandchildren will have no control over their present or their future. So I've got to get myself out of that mindset mm -hmm. and say that I am absolutely in control. I just understand that there are, there are, uh, there's, there are minefields. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
So you, it, you understand it, what I'm saying? In this book, Dr. Moss talks about chaos. And sometimes when you see chaos, mm-hmm. rather than running and disengaging, yeah. you should pause, mm-hmm. look at the chaos, mm-hmm. and then find a way to control Absolutely. the sanctification that the chaos gave you. Absolutely. Right? And then create something awesome yeah. as a result of the turbulent times. Yeah. And I think what you're saying is the Virgiwi mm-hmm. Summit, forgiven, mm-hmm. right? That And you out of that... Can this be revived? Can we, yeah. And so who's being revived? What will the summit do? What's its purpose? What's yeah, its yeah, goal? Yeah. Tell me about it. I, I told you I'm taking the long way. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, but, 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 you know, the fastest way to get somewhere mm-hmm. is very slow. Mm-hmm. They say that again? The fastest way to get somewhere mm-hmm. meaningful mm-hmm. is slow. Mm-hmm. Because if you go too fast, you miss too much. You miss time. The, yeah. All right, and so the, you, you, you don't see, and, yeah, and yeah. you miss the scenery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, the panoramic scenery. Mm-hmm. So, so, so anyway, to get to get straight to to the point. So after looking at these over five decades, seeing the the shift, I came to a conclusion that in many regards we are overcommitted on this discussion of racism in America. And I'll tell you why I think we are overcommitted on it. We're overcommitted to our own trauma mm-hmm. and the, the generational trauma of racism. Mm-hmm. We are a little bit too overcommitted on it. And, and many would say, what in the world do you mean mm-hmm. by that? How can you possibly say that in, in light of George Floyd and many other mm-hmm. things that have happened? The, 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 reason, the reason why I can say that is because if my, my grandfather, born in 1901, couldn't vote until he, until 1965. He lived here for 65 years, mm-hmm. paid taxes, was an entrepreneur, and could not vote until he was 65 years old. Yeah. If he had been born in 1961 like I was, mm-hmm. he'd be a millionaire today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe a billionaire. Mm-hmm. And you, overco- you follow yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You, you Over, overcommitted and focused on the wrong. Wrong, yeah. Yeah. And so, so and all that energy. Right. Is going to something, something that I can't change. Okay, yeah. so here is, my, here is my conclusion that I've come to after understanding that, wait, we may be overcommitted. So I need to re-shift that commitment toward not what has happened to me, but more importantly, to look at what we are doing to each other mm-hmm. and understand the social and psychological fallout of why this is here, we can find its roots. Sure, its roots mm-hmm. are in systemic racism. But at some point, I have to be able to say, you know what, it, is, it did happen to mm-hmm. us, but it can't keep happening to us. Legislatively, right now, we are beyond that mm-hmm. to some degree. To some degree, yeah. Okay, not completely. Yeah, we can, we can, I know, yeah, I know, we can, I can dialogue about that. We could, yeah. but the reality is I have enough to work with. Exactly, yeah. I have... I, let me say what that again. It, what is it that you have in your hand? Absolutely. Yeah. I have enough to work with mm-hmm. to, to make, and remembering what my mother taught me, mm-hmm. Mark, take what you have and make mm-hmm. what you want out of it. So from that perspective, I began, began to shift my attention toward away from what was being done to me to what we were doing to each other and then rebuild that because there was a time when we did not do the things to each other that we are doing today. Mm. 
at the level in which we are mm-hmm. doing them today. Who's the we? So, so, so for example, in mm-hmm. 1964, in 1961, when I was born, only 13% of all black children were born to a single mother. Mm-hmm. If we look today, that number is 74%. What does that tell us? Mm-hmm. That there's a problem between the black man and the black woman. Mm-hmm. And, and we are, and we have no, we really don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and the reality is that we don't look at this, that if, another example, uh, a black, uh, uh, if, if a child does not have a direct relationship with their father within the first 12 months of that child's life, it is likely they will never be fathered by that, by that father. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, so what is the fallout of that? Right now, 13, uh, uh, right now um, uh, children from 5 to 13 all right, listen to mm-hmm. this. 30% of them have never even been to a church of black children. And, now, and, and, you, you, and you know, with us, in our generation... The church was foundational. Yeah, we had... We had I, I tell people, we, we had a drug problem, right? Because <laughs> uh, you know it. You know the... Uh, our parents drug us to church. church. We had... Right. We had we, it wasn't a choice. No but, option. Yeah, yeah, no option. No option. Yeah. So as I looked at this, as, as I looked at our discography of racism, the target move, what we are doing to each other, I, I came to a conclusion. Do I fight that mm. or do I really deal with us? Yeah. And I, I asked myself, which one of these can I control? Pick your battles. Pick your battle. Yeah. Look, this is what I've come to, the conclusion that I've come to. I don't like snow, <laughs> so I wear a hat. I don't like snow. So like, I wear a coat. You don't like snow because you're bald headed. I'm a, and, and that I, too. And I, I, we're in the same. We're in the same. Club. Yeah, we're in yeah. the same. Right. <laughs> I don't like snow, mm-hmm. right? So, so I make sure my my gas bill is paid, especially in the winter time. I don't like snow because snow will be here when I'm dead and go- well, it's here when I was born. Mm-hmm. It'll be here when I'm dead and gone. And there's absolutely nothing I can do about snow. And guess what? There's absolutely nothing mm-hmm. I can do about racism because racism is snow. It was here before I was born, mm-hmm. and it'll be here after I'm born. So there's no point in me spending my eggs and my energy and my time and my intellectual capital dealing with racism mm-hmm. when I'm looking at black men who are killing black men right now uh, in, in 2020, what was it, 20. Uh, 22, mm-hmm. 9,000 black men were murdered at the hand of other black men in America. Mm-hmm. And that is a pandemic yes. in itself. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, if I'm really going to be in this fight, if I'm really going to do, if I'm going to hear God, okay, mm-hmm. and and then then change has to begin with us. I'm not going to focus on racism as much. There are people to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm acutely aware. I get it. Mm-hmm. I was in college, had a sign put on my dorm, Klan meeting in the morning. Mm-hmm. I understand the discography. I've seen it in corporate America, all over the place. All right? But the reality is, it's snow. I can't change it. But what I can change mm-hmm. is how we interact with each other, and that's what I want to focus on. Now, mm-hmm. to your point, mm-hmm. I know you want to say, to your point, so I asked God from that message that apostle preached and that question, that interrogative that came up, mm-hmm. will thou revive us again? That question haunted me. And I asked God in that moment, in that catalytic moment, mm-hmm. I asked God this, God, will you, with tears in my eyes, God, will you revive us again? I'm talking about black folks. Mm-hmm. 
black, black males in particular. Mm -hmm. I asked him, will you revive us again? You know what he said? He said, yes, and I want to. Mm. I heard that in the affirmative. Mm. And from that point on, I began to write and to listen and mm -hmm. to write and to listen for two or three months before I opened my mouth to share it with anybody. Mm -hmm. Just write and listen. And he began to give me the details and the strategy. He said, mm -hmm. since this stuff is shrouded in blackness, I want you to find out what the word, uh, what is an African word for forgiven? Mm -hmm. Found out it was Virgiwi. He said, call it that, the Virgiwi Summit. And so we're reaching <laughs> black males from the age of nine, listen, nine to 90, because black generation crime, mm -hmm. we yeah. have to deal with the eschatology of it. We yeah. have to deal with the generational components mm -hmm. of it from nine to 90. And as a result, and, and, and not only that, he said, he said this, everything you've ever done and all I've ever required of you as human beings is that you make a decision. We've asked mm -hmm. black males to come to our uh, uh, midnight basketball. We've asked them to mm -hmm. come to our mentoring programs. We've asked them to come to our job fairs. And they've come. And they've come. Yeah. All right? And the, and the problems continue to escalate. Mm -hmm. He said, you know what? He said, you've never asked them to make a decision to live. Mm. And so the Virginia Summit is to gather 500 to 1,000 black males in one room and ask them to do one thing to make a decision, decision. to live. Mm -hmm. So everything mm. that we do, all of the interviews, the website, all of the, the, the details, the strategic plan, all of that is for about 45 seconds mm -hmm. when we ask them the question, mm. do you want to live or do you want to die? Mm -hmm. And when we ask them that question, I just believe that they're smart enough to choose, uh, yeah. to choose the yes. Mm. I set before you death and life what you're going to choose. That's right. You're going to choose. That's right. So when is, when is the summit, sir? Yeah, April 14th. April 14th. Uh, it's, it's April 14th, 7 p.m. Doors open at 6.30 p.m. at Hope City House of Prayer on, on El Paso Drive on the west side of Columbus. Pastor Mark, this is, I think this is going to be a catalytic moment where something is introduced into a situation and circumstance that's going to speed and bring about significant change. And once that happens, um, the people, when they, it'll be transformational. Yes. And they'll never be able to be the same again. Yes. Because they've been altered mm -hmm. in a positive way. They'll mm -hmm. see themselves differently. And they'll see that um, making a choice to live and then decisions, and the moment-by-moment moment decisions they make... Um, transforms their lives. Transforms their lives. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and I'll tell you this, too, uh, uh, Pastor Carter. Mm. This is so... I'll tell you, man. God also gave me the date for the summit. Mm -hmm. I was going to do it a, a week before. He said, don't do it on the 7th. Do it on the 14th. Mm. And I, I rarely ask God why. Mm, yeah. I said, but show me this. Mm -hmm. He said, research why the 14th is, what, why that date is significant. Mm -hmm. Research it. What happened on the 14th? Well, 117 years to the day, the Azusa Street revival happened. Now, you got to mm -hmm. understand something. 
I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I'm getting chills sitting here thinking mm-hmm. about it right now. I did not know that at the time he gave me the date. That's why he had me go research it. Mm-hmm. It's 117 years to the day of the Azusa Street Revival. So once he showed me that, I understood that this wasn't, I, I got a call at a summit mm-hmm. to not be spooky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, but, yeah. but I need you to know that this is, it's bigger than a summit. Mm-hmm. This is a schedule. Mm-hmm. God scheduled this. Heaven scheduled this. This is not my idea. I am not that smart to pick that day to pull all of this. And everything, everyone that I've asked to be involved in the summit or to to give or donate or Mm -hmm. whatever, we have not received one no. And just not one. You know, and just to put a bow on this, um, at my church, since I've been back, um, I've been preaching on the book of Nehemiah. Mm. Um, How Nehemiah saw, he heard about a problem that was going on, you know, in Jerusalem that the walls had fallen down. uh, the, The temple was a wreck. Nehemiah had a burden for it once he heard it. He got in his feelings. He cried. But then he prayed. He prayed, and after four months, that's when he went back to the king. After he prayed, and then God gave him strategy, gave him vision. Now, 117 rounded up is 120. The walls of Jerusalem had laid dormant in that situation for 120 years. Wow. And Nehemiah heard, got a burden, then he took action. He got plans from the Lord, and they rebuilt the wall in 52 days, where they'd been lying dormant and dilapidated for 120 years. So I'm trying to tell you, I'm trying to encourage you with this. Wow. And I'll also say it couldn't have been on the 7th because April 7th is the day that we celebrate him getting up. Right. Oh, seven days later, come on, man, seven days later. That's right. Here we go. Here we go. Operating in the power of the resurrection. Mm, mm. So as I'm closing, Virgiwi means forgiven. And before you can build yourself, you got to forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who yeah. trespass against yeah. us. And yeah. I didn't know that Virgiwi meant forgiven in Africa. But yeah. I'm like, what does Virgiwi mean? Virgiwi? Virgiwi? We are on the verge yeah. of doing something. Wait a minute. <laughs> you look, know, you look, know look, we look, are on look, the verge. Look, I, I mean, it's worship center now, but you got to understand Listen. something. I, I came up in the Baptist church. Go, I know go, where to... Go. <laughs> we are on the verge. Wow of something that's going to be transformative and impactful and generationally um, something that is going to be remembered like Azusa, Mm. like the wall, Mm -hmm. because you got a vision from the Lord. So we're forgiven, and now we are on the verge. 
yeah. of something sensational. Yeah, yeah. Pastor Mark. For God. Yeah, for God. And to God be the glory. Yeah, yeah. Pastor Mark, I, yeah, brother, shake my hand. Man, thank you. I'm so I'm honored, man, oh, that man. Um, I'm more you'd be here. And yeah. the Catalyst Podcast, David Carter's Catalyst Podcast, we're provoking positive mm. change. Yeah. Thank you for being with us, man. I, yeah. I appreciate you. Hey, I'm, I'm just so glad to have been here. And thank you for sharing those powerful ending words that mean life to me. We're on the verge. Yes, we are. I, I'm taking that back to the team. I'm let's taking, let's go. Yeah, I'm taking that let's back go. to the team. Yeah. God yeah. bless you. God hey, we'll see you next time here on David Carter's Catalyst Podcast. God bless you. We'll see you next time.